We're in the book of Acts, chapter 14. We're going to look at verses 1 through 18, and this is the Word of God. The Bible is the Word of God, and God the Holy Spirit inspired the minds and the pens and the voices of the Old Testament prophets, the New Testament apostles, to write the very words of God. And so when I read this before I preach, of course, my preaching, I could, I could say things which are wrong. But when I read, I can't say anything which is wrong. So when I read these words, and I want you to read along with me, you should have a Bible in front of you, in the pew. I want you to labor to believe these words believingly, to believe them. Um, The only way that we are transformed into the image of Jesus Christ, by the word, as God presents himself in the word, the, the, the singular conduit is faith. Without faith, it's impossible to believe, um, to, to please God. And without faith, if you hear these words and think, well, I, I don't believe, there's no benefit. But to receive the comfort that I just talked about and prayed about a little bit earlier, to receive the comfort, to receive the Christ that's being presented here in these words, you have to hear believing. So believe these are the very words of God. Verse 1. In Iconium, they entered the synagogue of the Jews together, and they spoke in such a manner, and a large number of the people believed, both of the Jews and of the Greeks. But the Jews who disbelieved stirred up the minds of the Gentiles and embittered them against the brothers. Therefore, they spent a long time there speaking boldly with reliance upon the Lord, who was testifying to the word of his grace, granting that signs and wonders be done by their hands. And the people of the city were divided, and some sided with the Jews, some with the apostles, And when an attempt was made both by the Gentiles and the Jews with their rulers to mistreat and to stone them, they became aware of it and they fled to the cities of Lyconia, Lystra, and Derbe, and the surrounding regions. And there they continued to preach the gospel. At Lystra, a man was sitting who had no strength in his feet, lame from his mother's womb, who had never walked. This man was listening to Paul as he spoke, who, when he had fixed his gaze on him and seen that he had faith to be made well, he said with a loud voice, Stand upright on your feet. And he leapt up and began to walk. When the crowd saw what Paul had had done, they raised their voice, saying in the Lyconian language, The gods have become like men and have come down to us. And they began calling Barnabas Zeus and Paul Hermes, because he was the chief speaker. The priest of Zeus, whose temple was just outside the city, brought oxen, garlands to the gates, and wanted to offer sacrifice with the crowds. But when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of it, They tore their robes and rushed out into the crowd, crying out, saying, Men, why are you doing these things? We are also men of the same nature as you. We preach the gospel to you, that you should turn from these vain things to a living God, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. In the generations gone by, he permitted all the nations to go their own ways. Yet he did not leave himself without witness, in that he did good and gave you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons and satisfying your heart with food and gladness. Even saying these things with difficulty, they restrained the crowds from offering sacrifice to them. Amen. Let's pray. O gracious God, have mercy upon me, Heavenly Father. 
Help me, Holy Spirit, proclaim thy holy word, especially, especially you, Jesus Christ. May you be first and foremost in all of our hearts and minds today, that we would see that you are our sin-bearer, our sin-cleanser, our reconciler, our heavenly mediator, our holy brother, our life, and that we would be transformed into your holy image by these words. Um, Cause us to fall more deeply in love with you. May we love people. Cause us to see the greatness of, um, of grace. We pray it in your name. Amen. When you look at this particular passage in trying to discover the main doctrine or some of the main doctrines or teachings, you'll see that what the Holy Spirit has inspired really is just a continuation or an extrapolation of what we learned back in Acts chapter 1 and 2, what the whole purpose of the book of Acts is. Acts is a record of the advance of the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ. Subsequent, the resurrection, Christ is raised in Acts chapter 1. The angels tell the men, why do you stand looking into heaven? Christ died He was buried, he rose, he spent 40 days showing people that he was alive, then he ascended to glory, where he sits at the right hand of glory right now. He is pleading our case, he presents his sacrifice, and he's coming back to judge the living and the dead. And so the angels say, why are you looking into heaven? Why would we be looking into heaven? If you've ever seen someone fly away into heaven, the risen Christ, it would be astounding. But the notion is the angel is essentially telling the apostles, get busy. The Lord Jesus Christ told you to take the gospel from Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. When he comes back is his business. Our business is to be busy and diligent with the gospel talent put into our hands. These men are obviously gospel heralds. They're apostles. They're extraordinary church officers. I am an ordinary church officer. All preachers and ministers are ordinary church officers. So the notion of take the gospel out is most expressly applicable to the preacher, to the herald. But it has application to every lover of the Lord Jesus Christ. All of us are servants. Our life has been given to us to to live for the glory of Jesus Christ. Most of you all know that I love that poem by, his name is Stud. I forget his first name. He goes by two initials. One life to live, twill soon be past. Only what's done for Christ will last. And Spurgeon said something to the effect of living long is just existing, but living for Christ is living. And so here these men are spreading the gospel because that's their purpose. Beloved, our purpose is to live for the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's our purpose. Whether we're high or low, rich or poor, whatever we do vocationally, whatever we do recreationally, everything is to glorify the Lord Jesus. And so these men are prospering the kingdom, advancing the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ. They're taking the gospel message out. And the reason they're taking the gospel message out is because Jesus Christ told them to do that. And so the way that they're moving is they're going from the Jews to the Gentiles. And all of the early apostles, they were Jews. And they were Jewish people, and they took the gospel to Jewish people. And then from the Jews, they went to the Gentiles and all the various subdivisions of Gentile, which is just a non-Jew. And the way that the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ is advanced, and that's kind of what we're looking at here, is through the preaching of the Lord Jesus Christ, is the preaching of the word. This is not Islam. We don't convert people with a sword. It's not convert to Jesus Christ, or we will kill you. 
I'm not saying that, that there weren't misguided Christians ever that have done those kind of things. And that's a blot on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a blot on the, on the, the, the word of God. When people that say they are Christians, who say to a non-Christian, you convert or else, I'm going to force you to convert. You can't convert anyone. You can get people to say they believe so you don't hurt them, but that's sin on our behalf. So the way that the church advances is not through external means per se. Yes, we preach the gospel, but it's the Holy Spirit that causes the growth. And so that the kingdom of Jesus, which is the church of Jesus, which is the family of God, advances through the preaching of the word of God. That's what's going on here. And particularly by the word of the gospel. Now, I've been a Christian since I was 26 and I'm 58. A born-again, Bible-believing Christian, I know that's all redundant. A lot of times people say the, word, the words, the gospel. Now, since this is preaching and we're in a Presbyterian church and we're all supposed to be quiet, I can't ask you, so what's the gospel? Ready? What's the gospel? Lots of people who say gospel, Christian, yes, gospel, Christian. And I say, go ahead. Tell me what it is. I don't know. Let me call my mom. Oh, no, 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 no. What is the gospel? There is a very famous man that makes lots of money right now, and people even listen to this guy in, in the Reformed community, and he'll say this, the law is the gospel, the gospel is the law. The law is the gospel? The Ten Commandments are the gospel? On the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. The law is the gospel? The law is not the gospel. Beloved, what is the gospel? The Apostle Paul says in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2, the essence of his ministry, it's the message of the cross. Romans chapter 1, 1 Corinthians chapter 1. If we were to distill down the gospel, which means good news, this is how the church is advancing from Acts 1 all the way through. We see it week in and week out. Every town, every city goes, gospel, gospel. The good news is summed up in this. We don't practice the church calendar. I mean, typically, if we're, if we're conscientious to the Westminster standards, if we're really the children of the Puritans, which I am, but Good Friday, Christ dies on the cross, but he doesn't stay in the ground. He rises from the dead in the fulfillment of Scripture, um, as the Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, 1-6. So the gospel is about it's the, propos- it's the propositions, the word of God about the Christ of God. The gospel is not anything that we do. The gospel is not about what we do. The gospel is what God in Christ has done. Does that make sense? And the cross is the essence. If you take away from the, the cross from Christianity, you have a club. You might have a nice club. You might have cafe latte. You might have workout rooms. It might be nice, but I'd rather join a real club. Take away the cross from Christianity. Christ dying for sins, rising from our justification, is nothing. You can call it a church. You can call himself a priest or a minister. You can call yourselves Christians. Without the cross, you have nothing. And you have worse than nothing. Because you've inoculated yourself to the truth. You think you're a Christian. You think you're on your way to heaven. Life after death. But without that... Let me read to you. So you can say, well, pastor, I don't believe you. And if you come in this church, I don't want you to believe me because my lips are moving. I want you to believe me because if I move my lips, I want them to be in accordance with the word of God. And I'm going to read two passages that say the sum of what the apostle Paul, the apostle 
Peter, all of the preachers, preach to advance this kingdom of Jesus. And this is cross-denominational denominations. I like denominations in one way because we can be honest and say what we really believe. But I hate denominations in another way in that it's like dividing up a family. And someday there are not going to be any. So it doesn't matter if you're a Baptist or Episcopalian or a Methodist or, 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 or a Presbyterian. This is the essence of what advances the kingdom. For Christ did not send me to baptize, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, but to preach the gospel, not in cleverness of speech. It's not so that the cross of Christ would not be made void. The cross of Christ is the gospel. For the word of the, the, word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Galatians 6, those who desire to make a good showing in the flesh try to compel you to be circumcised simply so they will not be persecuted for the cross. They, and I'm going to talk about this in just a bit. They want to focus in on church rights, not on the word. They focus in on sacrament, not on word. I'll, I'll talk about that in a, in, a, in a bit. For those who are circumcised do not even keep the law themselves, but they desire to have you circumcised so they may boast in your flesh. But may it never be that I would boast, except in the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me, and I to the world, through the preaching of the cross. Now what we're seeing here in all of these things is that God has certain means by which he makes us Christians, converts us individually and personally, and by which he brings us together corporately and advances his church. He uses means. And I don't want to, like I'm getting ahead of myself in my own mind, thinking of certain arguments of, of people that think, oh, no, I don't believe that. Could God give babies to a mother and a father without the marriage bed? Could he do it? Could God give babies to a mother and a father without conjugal intimacy? Could he do it? Could he? Yes. Does he ordinarily do it? No. He uses ordinary means. And like that, when we look at the advance of the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ, it's not as if God just snaps his fingers, whammo, look at that, we're all Christians. Look at that, there's a church here. How does that occur? We're seeing how that occurs in God's ordinary providence. He sends out preachers. They, they get sent out with the word of God. They're preaching, and then the Holy Spirit attends that, and he blesses it. He makes it effectual. And so the two means that we find in our passage of how God brings people to himself in Christ, and I'm going to underline the word savingly. It's possible to be a Christian nominally, but not savingly. Do you know what I mean when I say that? Nominal is name only. I am a Christian. My folks were Christian. I am a Christian. I am a Christian. I, I hope that's true. But there's a possibility to just have the name Christian, and to quote the book of Revelation, to have a name that you live, but you're not alive. What we're talking about is how God brings people to himself savingly. You're in vital union and communion with him. You are born again. You are mystically joined to Jesus, mystically, spiritually, really. You can, I could grab people off the streets if I'm strong enough and say, say that you're a Christian, say you're in the church. I make them a Christian nominally. You can't do that. Spiritually, really. It's the Holy Spirit that joins us to the Lord Jesus Christ. And so there are two ways here in our text that we see. That's why I made the title what I made. 
There are two means by which God draws sinners, and everyone's a sinner, by the way, and we'll talk about that, how God draws sinners to Christ savingly. And the first means, and I'll I'll call this the effectual means, is the Word of God. It's the Word of God. And in the preaching of the Word of God, you can subdivide it. There's the law of God and then the the gospel of, of God. And the law acts as a tutor, Galatians 3, that drives us to the gospel of God. So the effectual means that we find in this passage, Word of God. They're out there preaching the Bible. Preach, preach, preach. And they're out there preaching Christ. So there is no Christianity without preaching Christ. I just watched some woman preacher. I shouldn't have watched the woman preacher, but I watched the woman preacher, and she's talking about something. There's no Christ in her preaching. I'm like, lady, not only should you not be preaching, at least if you're preaching, could you move your lips about Jesus? There's no Jesus. There's social justice, and I don't know, and other, these other people are bad, and we are good. Where's Christ in all of this? He's not there. So the effectual means that God advances his kingdom is the preaching of the word, the preaching of Christ, the preaching of the cross, as we've said. The confirmatory means by which Jesus draws, by which we're drawn to Christ savingly, is the word of God. That's hence the title. We have the works, the, the word of God, and then we have the works of God. We have the preachings of the Lord Jesus Christ, and then we have miracles. That it, These are miraculous signs and wonders that testify to the veracity of the word. Does that make sense? We'll talk a little bit about these things. So we've considered the main doctrine, the advance of of the kingdom by the gospel. The word of God is the effectual means. And as these heralds go out preaching the Lord Jesus Christ, we see in this passage, again, I'm going to kind of just do a macro overview of this. In this passage, we find two classes of people when they hear the word of Jesus. There are some who believe it, And the others say what? I don't believe it. The preaching goes out. Come to the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the Lamb of God. He takes away the sins of the world. Believe and you shall be saved. And some say, I believe. And they're saved. And others, maybe sitting in the same pew, maybe sitting in the same family, say, I don't believe. I don't believe at all. Beloved, there are only two classes of human beings in in the world. Not white, black, brown, yellow, rich, poor, Republican, Democrat. It's none of that. Those things are meaningless. They're meaningless. When people gather around your deathbed, they don't care what you voted. They really don't. They don't care what color you are. They don't care what money you have. And you shouldn't either. It's are you in Christ or are you out of Christ? That's what the work of the church is. If I was a politician, I'd be doing politician stuff. I'm not a politician. I don't tell you how to vote and how you do with your money. That's not my job. That's not their job. They're out promoting the kingdom. Come to Christ. Be changed. Be his child. Live for him. Go to heaven with him. That's the work of the church. I'm not saying the church shouldn't do good works and those kind of things. Of course I do. And so, but, but what makes the difference between the person who says, I believe in Jesus. Versus the person who says, I don't believe in Jesus. Look, if you're in, you have your Bibles open, look in Acts chapter 13, verse 48. Go ahead and look at that. I don't often do this, but just go. Here's the difference. Why does one class of person, Jew, Gentile, whether sitting in the synagogue in our passage or sitting outside of the synagogue, one person says, I believe Jesus is the Christ. And the other person says, I don't. What's the difference? Those appointed to eternal, what, what believed? Life. 
life. This is in Ephesians 1, Ephesians 2, Romans chapter 8, Romans chapter 9. God is the one that, that makes it effectual. How does it all work? I don't have a clue how it all works. He says he will make us born again. Ephesians 2, 1 through 9. It's by faith alone in Christ, but it's by the gift of God, the grace of God. So the difference is not, well, if you're smarter, you'll believe in Jesus. If you're dumber, you won't believe in Jesus. If you're a really good person, you'll believe in Jesus. But if you're a really bad person, you won't believe in Jesus. What was Saul of Tarsus doing when they were stoning Stephen? Hey, can I hold your coats? Hey, can I hold your coat, coats? While you stone that dude to death? That's called murder. You'd be doing time for that. Was the Apostle Paul a really good guy before he was converted? He was a scoundrel. Those are the kind of people Jesus saves. Scoundrels like us. It's not that we're really good. It's not that we're really smart. It's that God makes the difference. So the, the efficacy of this preaching and making, changing unbelievers to believers belongs to God. Now, the duty of the preacher is to preach. And then the duty of the Holy Spirit is to convert or not. But that's not the preacher's job. I have a Hindu father-in-law that says, do you get more money when you convert people? And I say, Papa G, I can't convert anybody. You don't understand conversion. They can give me a million bucks. I can't do anything for them. I can tell them about Christ. Only God, the Holy Spirit, can convert. So we see the effectual means. And I want you to see something. What we're looking at here, we're in Turkey. And so heretofore, we've been watching the ministerial labors of uh, Paul and the guy, well, in the beginning of the book, Peter and the guys, and then Paul takes over, and then Paul, Barnabas, and the guys are traveling. And they've gone in Antioch, Syria, where there was just the hurricane, uh, not the hurricane, the, the, the earthquake, and then they kind of went down to Cyprus, uh, and then they made a loop up to Antioch, Pisidia, which is in southern Turkey. Iconium is they go south, what is it, southeast, 100 miles southeast. So it's still in, in, in modern Turkey. And the guys are, are, are traveling around, and they have one message. They have one message for the Jews, Christ crucified for sinners. They have one message for Gentiles, Christ crucified for sinners. Doesn't it get different? Like, aren't Americans totally, totally, totally different than, say, like, Indians or, like, people from Thailand? Aren't we totally different? Oh, no, we're not totally different. We're exactly the same. We have the same need before God. All of us. You might eat more fish than I eat. I may eat too much red meat. That is meaningless. We have the same need before God. And God gives the same solution. Take me to Thailand. Take me to where my wife was born. Take me anywhere. It's the same gospel. And what do we see as the gospelers go out giving this Jesus died for sins. He's the Lamb of God. Believe and be saved. Jesus saves Jews. Jesus saves Gentiles. He saves people in Turkey. He saves people in Syria. He saves people in Pensacola. Because he's God. And so you, I, I know how the flesh, well, my folks were raised such and so, and what, what are you talking about? And I was raised religiously this, and you were raised religiously that. that. That is meaningless. I don't care how you were raised. I don't care all the other nonsense. 
God the Holy Spirit is not limited. Jesus busts through all of those various um, distinctions. It's the same Christ because we have the same need. And I, you know what? Just pastorally, I wish we would, as Christians, start to believe that. we like, well, I'm like this and you're not like this. And you know what? If we looked at people like they're like people, people, people like us, they have the same needs. Their folks get sick and die. Their kids get sick and die. They have hard days. They get divorced. They need Christ for the forgiveness of their sins. They need the comfort that can be found in Jesus Christ. Just like me. We, we, would, we would be more active. So we have the means, the words of God, and now the miracles. So we have here, and there's a couple of places in the book of Hebrews that I'm working through in my own pr- pr- private worship that talk about signs and wonders. The Apostle John, writing in the Gospel of John, he calls miracles signs. And so the, the miracles... the, the I mentioned ordinary providence. God uses means. Extraordinary providence, which is what a miracle is, is God working without secondary means or against the ordinary property of secondary means. And what do I mean like this? If you're out in the woods and you're chopping wood with your your axe and you have an iron or a steel axe head and it flings off your axe and goes in the water, do do, do iron axe heads or steel axe heads float on water ordinarily? Why? Because they sink like a rock in the water. That's their property. Can God make them float on the water? I think he can. That's a miracle. That's God either working without secondary means or against the ordinary property of secondary means. Do virgins give birth to little boys named Jesus? The ones that the Holy Spirit overshadows do. That's called a miracle. You say, well, I don't believe in miracles. Oh, yes, you do. Yes, you do. Christianity is a miracle believe in faith. Genesis 1-1, all to the the end of the book. Uh, Can God do anything he wants? He can. He's limitless. Can we do anything we want? No. You don't have to be 58 and a half to get to a place in your life where you say to God, God, I don't know. God, I have no power. No power. This guy that they heal, this guy in Lystra, he never walked. Was he going to get well? Never. Was it hopeless for him? Hopeless, except for, in the name of Jesus Christ, stand up and walk. In the name of Jesus Christ, stand up and Our God is not limited. Our Christ is not limited. So these works, and my point with the works is, it's confirmatory to the word They don't stand alone. They don't terminate on themselves. I haven't always been a Presbyterian Christian. I was raised a Roman Catholic, and then I became born again. And after I was born again, I went everywhere, boy. Baptist, holiness, you name it, Pentecostal light in Calvary Chapel. And then I ended up in the PCA and OPC, which is what I am now. And I know there are other churches that say, hey, come to church, we're doing miracles at our place over here. And there was a time when I thought, wow, you guys can do miracles? That's awesome. I think I'll go there and watch a few miracles. And my wife would never come with me. I'd say, hey, they're having miracle service. You want to come? And she would say, no, I don't think I want to go. And she was smarter than I was. And I would go to miracle services. I'm not picking on you. What passes for miracles now 
I saw the face of the Virgin Mary in a pancake. I'm not even being that foolish. Miracle. It terminates on itself, whatever it may be. And I'm just being foolish. Go to a miracle service. I could take you to one right now. What does it terminate on? The miracle, the person, it's selfward, manward, earthward. What do real miracles in the Bible terminate on? Christ, and particularly the word of Christ. I'm with John Calvin on this. John Calvin says, hardly ever, because he doesn't want to go whole hog and say never. He wants to say never, but he doesn't say it. He said, hardly ever do we find God affects a miracle that's not attached or associated with the word of God. And specifically the gospel. They're confirmatory signs. Jesus is the Christ. Believe in him, you'll be saved. Those are audible words. How do we know that's true? Watch this. What's the greatest confirmatory miracle that Jesus is the only Savior? Greatest miracle on the planet. God became flesh. He died for sins and he rose again. You see that. The word and then the works of God. In God, the Holy Spirit's hands, as it were, they take unbelievers and make them believers. They take people who are dead in their sins and trespasses and they make us alive in Christ. That's how the kingdom works. And that's what is going on. I wanted to say, but I probably, you know, in God's providence, I don't have enough time to say it, but I'm just going to say a little bit. When we come here, look at at what he says. So he's off in preaching, and I'm going to get ahead in the text. He's off preaching, and he goes to, where are they? He's in Lystra. And so the, these guys, um, the, the priests and the people, they think, well, um, Barnabas is Zeus and Paul is Hermes because he was the chief pre- preacher and so on. These people are pagans. I'm not using that term as a pejorative, though sometimes people see it as a pejorative. I mean it as a non-believer, an unbeliever in the God of the Bible. And the Bible were referred to people as heathen or, or pagans, meaning a a believer not in the God of the Bible. Why did these people believe what they believe? Why did these people believe in Zeus and Hermes and so on? Because their grandparents and their parents and their cousins all taught them to believe that. That's why they believed it. Go again to the land of my birth, my wife's birth. Why were they Hindus? Because their grandparents were Hindus and their mom and their dad were Hindus and their brothers are Hindus and sister, all the uncles and aunts were Hindus and you're, you're going to be a Hindu. They learned it from human tradition. Notice what the Apostle Paul preaches. He actually quotes Isaiah in a couple places. Actually, if I could kind of... And he says, no, God has done you good. He's he's using Old Testament words. And then he refers to two forms of revelation. One, natural revelation. This is why we read Psalm um, 19 responsively. One through six says, the glory of God is everywhere. Even the heathen can see the glory of God. They can't rightly understand it. This is a Romans 1 and Romans 2, but he preaches that. Even the baby in your arm, you could tell me you think you come from a chimp, you could think you tell me that kids are, human beings are nothing, I don't believe you at at all. Every mother, when she has a baby in her womb, knows that she has a baby in her womb, and and you watch that baby, that human being comes out of another human being. That's a Psalm 139. Even the unbeliever says, that is amazing. And it's going to testify, you're not God and there is a God. But it's not saving. 
And what's saving is the proclamation of the second form of revelation, which is the Word of God. It's redemptive revelation. He's preaching the Bible. And here's my point when he says to them, listen, you believe in Zeus because of your tradition. Today is Resurrection Sunday. On Resurrection Sunday, more people go to church than on non-Resurrection Sundays. There was a meme somewhere, I forget, and it was after Resurrection Sunday a few years ago, and the minister on his church said, see you at Christmas. (laughs) And so you could see, like, for ministers, can we get our feelings hurt and get a little peevish and so on? I clearly said, oh, this dude's getting a little peevish. So the church fills up because it's Resurrection Sunday. He gets a beat his bonnet. He wants to give him a little zing. See you at Christmas. Sometimes folks, Christians, people who profess to be Christians, we do our Christianity just like these people who believe in Zeus. Our families have always done it this way. It's just tradition. We, we go to, I, I, in the Roman Catholic Church, I went to church every Sunday. And we didn't have nice chairs. It was a bench. And they didn't have kitty anything. They had sit on the bench or you're getting hit by your parent. And we went every Sunday. Why did I go? This is what we do. We've always done this. And so I did it like clockwork. And the people that go twice a year, they do it like clockwork. Why, why do they do it? My family has always done it this way. So the professing Christian can have a traditions-based form of Christianity, just like the professing non-Christian can have a traditions-based form of Christianity. It's just, this is what we do. Does the Apostle Paul appeal Does he say to, you all believe what you believe by your tradition, I was a Pharisee by my tradition. Does he appeal to the authority of the temple, the synagogue, the church, even a leader of the church? Does he? No, he preaches the word. Beloved, I'm not picking on any kind of traditions. I used to, we live in a hectic world. And there are certain traditions that are really comforting. Um, I grew up in Boston, and my grandparents lived in Dedham, and my grandmother made the best turkey gravy on Thanksgiving, and then we played touch football with my uncles and my, my cousins. That was a blast. Those are great traditions. Our religion shouldn't be based on our traditions. He's not preaching a traditions-based form of Christianity. He's preaching the Word. He preaches the Word. I'll I'll just say this, no extra charge for this. A traditions-based form of Christianity mainly focuses on rites, on ceremonies. Special days, special clothes, special this, special that. Outward, 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 outward. That's paganism. Biblical Christianity preaches and proclaims the supremacy of the word. The centrality of the word. Law gospel. Law gospel. Take me to an expression of Christianity that is not extolling the supremacy, of the supremacy of the word, I already know what's going to happen. You're getting a 10-minute feel-good homily because you're not there for the word. You're there for the tradition. You're there for the rites, the ceremonies. What, h- how is God saving people in Turkey? Lystra, Derby. Is it through rites? Is it through ceremonies? Is it through statuary? It's the preaching of the word is how he does it. So, I don't, I don't want to get off on a, on a tangent against observing a, a traditions-based form, but that's what he's preaching. He's not preaching the traditions of the elders, so to speak. He's preaching 
the word of God. The word of God is his authority. And in his ministry of the word of God, the Bible tells us in a couple of places, verse 6, he's preaching the gospel. This is true even in Christian churches. Christian churches sometimes take that word preaching and they don't like they change it to like just chatting. And so they no longer have a pulpit. What they have is like a bar stool and the minister doesn't have a pulpit with a Bible in front of him. He just has a thing and he's just having a chat. Oh, beloved, this is not the ministry of the word. This is not chat. The Apostle Paul didn't come having a chat. You share a little bit about Zeus. I share a little bit about Jesus. Let's just chat. This is not a chat. He's preaching, preaching. This is the authoritative public pronunciation of Christ by a servant of Christ. That's what it is. And you know what natural man, even unconverted people in the church think? That's foolish. That's stupid. Can't we do something really important like tell people how to have good families and good bank accounts? Like, that's ridiculous. You think people are going to be converted and built up into the image of Jesus just by merely moving your lips on the Bible? Yeah. Yeah. I totally do. The unbeliever says, you know what? We don't really want this preaching of the word. We want something else. And they'll get something else because there are plenty of people that will come into a church that call themselves Christians. There are ministers that would line up and, and, and they would gladly preach anything but the Spirit-inspired Word. They'll give you what you want. And what will you want? Wrestling class, yoga class, coffee class. The flesh wants it. But, beloved... What does the person who has been born again by the Holy Spirit want? Give me the word. Give me the Spirit-inspired word. And so they're out preaching the word. We see the two responses. One group says, I believe. The other group says, I don't believe. And what do the people that don't believe say to the Apostle Paul and the other guys? We're going to kill you. You see, I was an unbeliever for a long time, so I kind of know how unbelievers think, and I kind of know how believers think. And this is what an unbeliever thinks he thinks or she thinks about herself. I'm open-minded. I'm intellectual. They all think they're intellectual. Open-minded, intellectual. I'm not like those mean, narrow, bigoted Christians who think Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No. I just think all religions are, every way leads to heaven. Guess what, beloved? That is a lie. That is a gigantic lie. It's incongruous epistemology, to quote one of my professors. You think you believe what you just said, but you don't believe it. Why do I know that? I think everybody should just live and let live. You want to be a Christian? Great. If you don't want to be a Christian, great too. Try that out. Tell them, Jesus is the Christ. He's the sin bearer. He alone is the way, the truth, and the life. Go ahead and say that to them. What happens to their enlightened, benign, gentleman-like demeanor? They're going to kill you. That's exactly what happens. They go from letting Christians being Christians because I'm so benign, they're going to kill you. You're not coming to Thanksgiving, they're going to cuss you out. You watch. You watch. So opposition to the Lord Jesus Christ is not intellectual, it's not liberal, it's not gracious. I'm going to say something, I'm sorry to say it. It's hellish and satanic. That's the book of James, chapter 3. When these people are converted, 
the people who are not converted don't say to them, you know what, that's great. I'm so happy you found Jesus. You be a Christian and I'll be a non-Christian. This is what shows me the Bible is true again. There's a spiritual warfare. They say to that person that has become born again a Christian, what? You know, Jesus isn't true. Let me see if I can take you away from Jesus. They go on the offensive and they want to stop the preaching of the Lord Jesus Christ and they want to kill Christ. They did kill Christ, but he's, he, he is alive. Beloved, it's, it's, it's a walk-in testimony that this book is true. Even for the atheist. The atheist says, I, I, I have family who are atheists. They hate Christ. And I said to my atheist family member, why are you spitting mad at the name of Jesus if you think this is all a joke? I don't get spitting mad at the great pumpkin. You get spitting mad. This is a Romans 1 and a Romans 2 because you know, you know that Jesus is the Christ and you are a rebel. And, and, and George Whitfield is exactly right. Unconverted man is half a beast and half a devil. And I know I mentioned the enlightened. You're only going to chit-chat like enlightened gentlemanly like this long. The moment the Christian says, I am not moving off of Jesus, the long knives are going to come out. And what do the apostles do after the long knives come out? They keep going. Beloved, it's not easy to be a Christian in an anti-Christian world. It's not, a, it's not easy to be a preacher of Christ in an anti-Christian world. But they keep going. God will put us into a place where all we receive is the opposition. And this is especially hurtful when we receive opposition for Christ from loved ones. It's just testimony that we belong to Jesus. And what should we do? Trust in Christ and keep going. And then I want to cl- conclude with just a little bit from the miracle of the, the man that they heal. This is a counterpart of Acts chapter 3 with the, with, with, the, with the crippled Jew. And now he heals a crippled Gentile. And I mentioned it earlier. The guy was crippled from birth, just like the guy in John chapter 9 who was blind from birth. You don't have to be a Christian to believe this. You could be a straight-up unbeliever, a card-carrying unbeliever to believe this. You will be brought to places in your life where you utterly cannot. For yourself, for your son, for your daughter, for your mother, for your father, for your husband, for your wife, you cannot. Cannot. It doesn't matter what doctor you go to. It doesn't matter. Cannot. I, I know sometimes people despair so much that they take their own lives. And I've talked to some Christians recently and told them, don't get to a place where you despair and do that. Because cannot for man is not cannot for our Christ. Christ was born at a virgin, miracle. Christ died for our sins, miracle. Christ rose again, miracle. People dead in their sins and trespasses come to church on a Sunday and love Christ, miracle. Beloved, trust in your miracle-working Jesus Christ. You have hope because he lives. May God be pleased with the preaching of his word.